Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. And, and um, I came here hungry. And, uh, and I'll probably leave hungry because hungry has become a way of life. We were, we were just in some services in, in Redding, California and met God there. And then we got back home and we had a worship night and met God there. And then we went to Harrisburg for a conference and met God there. And, and I just kept thinking, okay, where is it really going to happen? I'm going to, at that place, a breakthrough. And uh, I made a decision Wherever it happens, if I'm there, wherever I'm supposed to go after that, they'll have to wait. (laughs) And I was thinking of this song that we used to sing. I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory, in your presence, that's where I always want to be, I just want to be. I just want to be with you. Yeah. I was trying to get that minor thing in there. Just my, my voice is going this way, and the minor was going that way. But there's a hunger and a thirst, and, and it's in the nation. And uh, when you get tired of being woke and get tired of being mean at people who don't look like you, all of that runs out, and pretty soon you're just saying, I need more than this. And so another song says, only you can satisfy. Only God can. So if you're trying to find satisfaction and it's not working, think of that other song. I can't get no satisfaction. There's a song for every season. And David and Cole has a billion of them. Has he ever sung the song about a bad haircut. Yeah, it's a great song. Just, uh, just do it. I, I want you to, uh, to tell someone. That's, this is the thing that I, I forgot about, this metallic podium. Can I get that wood thing? Because my, my, my laptop has this metal piece on it, and it sticks to this. Thank you. Um, they do have to line it up right, though, so. <laughs> You'll let Tanner do that. that. This guy doesn't look like Tanner. <laughs> Tanner has a little more hair, but t- Tanner, it's not lined up. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know what 
I don't know what that guy was thinking about. All right. There you go. Yeah, just about a little bit to the right. Just good. Now, now we're ready. When our two of our grandkids were were small, I guess maybe about nine or ten years old, and and so my wife and I wanted to treat them, and so we took them to a, one of our favorite Chinese restaurants, and so we ordered the food that we normally ate, and and so they ate with us, and when we were done, the waiter was bringing the bill. The youngest one just yelled right out loud, "Now can we go to McDonald's?" <laughs> and um, and I, I feel like there are places where we've been in the Lord, and you've been there, and it didn't satisfy. You heard that something good was there, and you got there, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't good. And then you were trying to be helpful. And so what I've discovered is that children will articulate what you are thinking, but you feel like it's not appropriate to share. And so Janice's grandson was standing at the Thanksgiving Day table looking at a Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner that was, it had a, a Mexican theme. And he, he was just staring at it. And Janice was glad that she was coming to our house after that meal because we had a real Thanksgiving dinner with turkey and dressing and all the good stuff that you make. I'm pointing to one of my sons over there. And so this little guy stood there, and he said, Grandma, I can't see nothing good on this table. <laughs> but to be in the presence of God where the Spirit of God is moving, it doesn't take you long to find something good. And even if you can't find it, you may be like a moment that I had in my life when I had gone through three services and a lot of hours spent in church ministering to people and and uh, Sunday night when he was closing out, room was packed and I just said, I'm going to make a beeline to the green room and I'm going to ignore anybody who says praise the Lord or hello Bishop and and so I ran and I just I mean I ran and uh, I felt this guy touch me on the back Bishop Carling, Bishop Carling and I just I said I'm going to act like I didn't hear him <laughs> and I ran into the green room and he followed me into the green room. He said, I was calling you. Didn't you hear me? And I didn't want to lie. I didn't say anything. He said, I had something to give you. And he got my attention. And he had an envelope, Pastor David, and, and it, was, it was thick. It had money in it. He said, I wanted to give this to you. And I thought of that song. Your goodness is running after me. Wow, yeah. I'm running from it because I think I'm going to be irritated by it. But here's what I love about God. A lot of times he's chasing you with his goodness. It's not just as Tommy Tenney taught us to say we are God chasers, but God is a chaser. And he's pursuing us and he's doing everything he can to get our attention. And then in a moment where he is anticipating something that he has for you to get your attention, he takes you and gives you a, a word and a picture, and he tells you, double is doable. Yes, yes, yes. And would you say that to someone 
double. Say it again. Father, I just thank you for the gift of your presence, how important it is to us and how necessary it is as we come to fresh new seasons in which you are moving by your spirit. Thank you for the gathering. Thank you for this amazing opportunity that you've entrusted to us. Help us to embrace this with great faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to go to verse 8. Tanner, thank you for confirming my message with your scripture choice. Verse 8. One day Elisha went out to went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived. Everybody say wealthy woman. Wealthy. Say that again, wealthy woman. Wealthy. Who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food, which means the food must have been good because he's returning. When food is bad, you don't go back. And if people ask you how it was, we, we had some bad food given just one day, and so I just I put it in the garbage disposal, and uh, we named our garbage disposal the spot. And so uh, when people ask us how how did the food taste, we we said, it's it's going to take me a long time to get through this verse if I keep commenting. He would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there and he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this treasure, trouble for us. What has been done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the... Would you underline that phrase, Would you have a word spoken to the king on your behalf? And she said, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her. Now, he and Gehazi are talking. Obviously, uh, Elisha doesn't speak the woman's language, but Gehazi does. And so there, he's the translator, and he's talking. He says, well, okay, what do we do for her? All right? oh, she's, she's really nice. And he said, she says, do you want this? And she said, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I really don't have any needs. I'm wealthy, and then I'm among my own folk. And so she said, thank you. Elisha wants to know, what can we do for her? And Gehazi, who is also a servant, who's hanging out with the servants, and so he's getting to know the family and some of the inter-needs and the things that are deep within their hearts. And he says, listen to this, 
Well, she has no son and her husband is old. Now at 84, I'm asking the question, what's old got to do with it? Got to do with it, got to do with it. What's old got to do with it? <laughs> he said, and he said, call her. And she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. Everybody say, great story so far. Everything turns. Everything turns. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he, demonstrating that he was old, he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Or the King James translation says, it shall be well. Tell somebody next to you, it shall be well. Say it again. Say it with conviction. You're prophets. It shall be well. There's a whole hymn written from this story. When peace like a river attends my way. When sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is not it, not it is going to be well, but it is well. Great testimony, Tanner. He said, why we go? This is not a religious time. She saddled the donkey. She said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain, to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, did do not deceive me? Didn't I tell you that? You all think, she said, did I not ask you? No, no, she is frustrated. She is not happy. He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment. Take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. You started this and you're going to finish it. That's essentially what she's saying. So he arose and <laughs> don't mess with a Shunammite who is 
He arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sign, sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and said, child is still not wakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walled, walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Go with me to chapter 8. But wait, there's more. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose, did according to the word of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. What happened? Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, can you imagine Gehazi sitting there? He's telling the story about the lady and about the kid and all of that stuff. And while he's telling the story, right on cue, she walks in. We like to say at times when stuff like this happens, you can't make this stuff up. God's timing is exquisite. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead, to life. Behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left behind until now now there's a whole lot in here and I'm not even sure that you have time because I can tell it but you don't have time to wait for the end so let me just take you to the end and then we'll go back to the beginning do you remember him saying shall I speak to the king or the captain of the army on your behalf and she said I don't have those kinds of needs. You may have a season in your life when you don't have those kinds of needs. But is it possible? There's a need coming. There's a season coming. 
in which the very thing that you thought you didn't need is what you need at that point. And what you already have is a word from God because Elisha is speaking to the king in that moment through that testimony. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so as Gehazi is testifying, he's prophesying, she walks in right on cue, and his mouth drops wide open, and he's stunned, and he's looking at her, and he's, he says, uh, King, he says, what's, what's your problem? And he says, that, that, that lady right there. That. He said, what, what? I'm telling you a story about a woman whose son was raised from the dead. He said, yeah, that's the girl right there, and that's the boy. And the king, he begins to examine them. And he's asking the questions because when people are raised from the dead, you want to have somebody who can tell you, were you there? And the boy was there. I would ask questions like, what was it like? Where were you? How did it feel when you were raised from the dead? I have a friend. He's in heaven now, and he was, he was officiating at a, at a camp for, for youth for their denomination. Spirit-filled guy, and a, a, a teenager, she just dropped dead. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And he said, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. And he said, she's lying in the bed. Her parents are coming, and I'm trying to figure it out. It happened on my watch, God. you got to do something. So he started asking God to bring her back, send her back, send her back. Several hours he's praying. He said, all of a sudden, she sat up in the bed and slapped him hard across the face. <laughs> he said, why'd you do that? She said, I was with Jesus. And he told me I had to come back because you were praying. <laughs> oh, I love stories that talk about what God does. This young girl, who she, it's like, hey, I don't know about the rest of my life. I just know that I was with Jesus and it had nothing to do with my career or future. I want you to get something. There's, there's a passage that I I try to get people to become convinced about. And it's in Romans 15, 4, where he says, the things that were written before were written for our instruction so that through the patience and the encouragement of Scripture, we can have hope. This story is in the Bible for you. Yes. The whole story. It tells something. And I want you to just, let me just break it down for you a little bit. You got time? All right. Because I want to talk about double is doable. But I've entitled the message, By the Future. By the Future. Whatever you're doing as we approach this season, I'm sitting there thinking, how can I participate, God? What is it that you want me to do? Because I don't just feel like I'm somebody here to spectate. I'm here to participate. And I know that God has given me the ability to believe him because he said to me he will give seed to the sower. And whenever I create a situation in which I have to sow, I create a situation in which he has to give me seed. It's this relationship that you and I have with God. Some have it more perfectly than others. Some have to be chased into it. Some have to be beaten into it. But eventually they get it. But the point for me is that this book is full of faith stories. It's full of prophecies. When people say, I've never had a personal prophecy, I say, pick up your Bible. 
There are thousands of statements in here. There are words that are in this book that can apply to you. Even though they were addressed to somebody else, they can apply to you. So I want you to hear, I want you to hear what it is I'm saying. I love this passage in Proverbs 16, 15. He says, the light, in the light of the king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. You live in a kingdom. And when your king likes you, you can get favor. Yes. And he likes you even when you don't think he likes you. Wow. <laughs> Clarence and I were in line to go to New Zealand and the LAX at LAX airport. And the line was long. It was, it was weaving. It was all the way out the door. And I looked at my watch and I looked at the, the plane was going to leave. And I said, man, we're not even going to get there. And just as I got by the x-ray machine, there was a young man standing there, African-American guy, just brilliantly dressed and handsome. And, and uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, do you have your boarding pass? And I, I, I kept myself from, from a smart comment. Because I was going to say, I, they wouldn't let me in the line without a boarding pass. But I didn't say that. I just said yes. But it was in my mind. <laughs> but my mind said, you don't want to say that right here. And I said, yes. And he opened the gate right there by the x-ray machine. He says, why don't you just come through here? And I said, sure. Clarence was talking to a guy. I said, Clarence. And he turned around and he followed me. And the guy he was talking to saw him and he followed him. <laughs> and we both, the, the three of us, walked through into a place of favor. We had encountered it. We didn't know what we did to deserve it. We just know that it was there. And when that happened, I looked back at all the people who had been waiting in line and hadn't even got to the machine. Yes, yes. And I stopped looking. When people don't get what you got, you don't want to see how they feel about it. Because favor ain't fair. And they're trying to figure it out. When the king likes you, tell somebody, if the king likes you, you can pretty much get whatever you want. How did the Shunammite woman buy the future? And I want to just share several principles from this story. Look at verse 8, 2 Kings 4, 8. One day Elisha went on to Shunam, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to buy food. The first thing that this woman did was she offered hospitality to somebody she didn't know. You know, it's, it's right to be good. They used to teach us in the scriptures, and maybe the verse is different now, but it says, if you want to make friends, you have to show yourself friendly. A lot of us want friends, but we don't know how to demonstrate friendship or to do something nice. Open the door for somebody you don't know. Hold the chair for somebody you don't know. Do this. Go out of your way to do something. Just, I don't have time to be good. Guys saw a lady jacking up her car. An old lady jacking up her car on the highway. She had a flat tire. And they looked at one another. One guy said, should we help her? He said, we're not saved by works. And they kept on driving. Look. <laughs> All right, that went over your head. But many times there are needs that are right in front of you that you could exercise a kindness just because you have the resources. 
And she saw Elisha. Come on in. Hey, hey, come over here. Are you hungry? Prophets are always hungry. He said, yeah, come on in. She's a wealthy woman. Somebody say she's a wealthy woman. And she put a spread out. She put a spread out that did not have to go um, to the drop box, the spot. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. And as often as he passed that way, he would say to Gehazi on the way, hey, are we getting close to the Shunammite's house? You look forward to opportunities in life when people have blessed you. And when you bless people, there's something that God wants you to understand. I just won't let your blessing go in, as in, in terms of a dead end. I'm going to multiply that blessing. Somebody says she made room in her home. Make room in your house. I don't want people staying with me. Well, you may miss an opportunity to entertain an angel or a prophet. She made room in her home. Secondly, she made room in her life. Look at chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. The King James translation, she says, I perceive that this is a man of God. I think the problem in life is that many times men and women of God come past us, move through us, they are around us, and we don't perceive them, and we miss an opportunity to do something. We had no idea. They, they had no idea that Jesus was who he was. They had no idea what was going on in his life, that he could have done anything. But people who had a perception, like the, the woman with the issue of blood, she saw Jesus and she said, you know what? These doctors haven't done a daggone thing for me. And all I've done is spent money. And she says, but I am believing that if I can just slip up on him and reach out and touch a fringe of his prayer shawl, I will be made whole. Look, she's not down on her knees trying to get the hem of his garment. That's not what it was saying. He's got a prayer shawl on. And the, and the strings from that, all she's got to do is just touch that. And she touches it. And when she touches that, something happened to her that couldn't have happened if she hadn't perceived that that guy had something that she could get. I've heard what he does. I heard what he can do if I can just touch him. When she touched that, something happened that would never have touched if she just stayed on her porch and said, oh, I wish. She got off the porch. Sometimes your condition will keep you in a place where you can't get what you need or your condition will send you to a place where you have to get what you need. She perceived. Somebody said she perceived. And I want you to notice, and I'm not, 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 not being ugly, but I'm, what I'm saying is that somehow women perceive sooner than guys. I don't like that either. And I just say, I, I, I'll say something to Barbara. I said, Barbara, I, I feel like the Lord is saying, she says, you know what? He was telling me about that. Two weeks ago, he spoke that to I'm sick. Just you. <laughs> And we've already determined that hubby is slow because he, he old. 
she perceived. Somebody said she perceived. She said, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Then verse 10, she says, let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there again. So the text you read, would you come back and read that one more time? Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Keep going. Enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out. Just, why don't you just do this? It, it's, it's just a prophetic thing. But this do this. Just move your arms out. Somebody may be sitting close to you and just let them know you're, you're taking up space that I need. Do you remember when we were in, years ago we were in gym class and they would say, okay, stretch out. And you, the guy standing next to you, they would say, get arms length. She is saying, let's build something. Let's expand our house. Let's enlarge our place. Now, the scripture says, let the barren woman do what? Sing. Find the area in your life that's barren and begin to sing over it. Begin to worship over it. Begin to declare that God is good all the time and even in the moment of my deepest desire I can't see something but if she is perceptive enough to recognize that he's a man of God she's also perceptive enough to recognize that the Holy Spirit is saying to her if you have a man of God in your house you need to do a little more than just feed him you need to do a little more than just give him something to eat and make him happy as he's going on. Find a way to get something like that in your house on a regular basis. And so when they're done eating, they can go and sit down and rest. What would it be like to have a prophet in your house when your child dies? The widow of Zarephath, even though she didn't think she had it, she fed Elijah, and the moment came when her child died. Elijah wasn't somewhere over here. He was in the house upstairs, and she could say to him, I need you to fix this. There are some things that prophets can fix, especially if they started it. Enlarge the place of your habitation. That's where we are, dwell church. We are enlarging the place of our habitation. We have this conviction that God is up to something, that there's an expansion coming. Rise and build is a word that we hear all the time, but there are some things that God has already prepared for you. Because he says, 
I will give you cities that you didn't build, gardens that you didn't plant. Somewhere out there in the future, they were doing something. They were saying, this is, we're going to do this. And hey, they had no idea that they were putting it together for dwell. God's previous. Say that. God is previous. She said, let's do it. Notice how she says it. Uh, we're going to put this here, and we're going to put in a chair and a table and a desk and a bed so that whenever he comes, whenever he comes, I want us to focus on what would it take to put something in which Jesus could come and be happy there. Tommy Tenney told us the story of a really big guy. He's a pastor of a large, he was, in fact, he was a large guy, very large. And whenever he would do a pastoral visit, he wouldn't go in the house. And so they asked him one day, why don't you come in the house? And he said, well, open the door. And he opened the door, and he looked around in the room, and he said, no, nah, I can't come in here. And they said, why? He said, you don't have a chair big enough to hold me. Is it possible that God doesn't visit us because we don't have a chair? We don't have, a, we don't have something... What does it mean to make room for him? It might mean that you make room in terms of your personal life. You make rooms in terms of your resources. You make room in terms of your possessions. You make room in terms of your schedule. God, you can come, but we're going to be done. He said, but what if I'm not done? <laughs> well, in some churches, you'll be there by yourself, God. We are wanting God to come. We're wanting him to move. We're wanting him to put his hand upon us. We're saying, God, revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. But we need it all to be over because the game starts at two. There are some things that you're not going to get at the game. A day in his courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. You can't sit, you can't tell me I can sit in a football game and get energized like I can when I'm sitting in this meeting and hearing about the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after and running after me, and nothing is running after me when I'm in a, a setting where there is no life there. No life. And she builds this place, she makes room in her life for a man of God. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere, if you give to a prophet in the name of the prophet, you will receive the prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It's a word. It's a word. She has no idea that by making room, and this is why this story is important for us. There, there are times when the Bible teaches us certain things, and we need to get not just by our Moses, we need to get them by looking at it and just saying, I wonder how this would apply to me. I wonder how this passage that Isaac sowed in famine, and he reaped a hundredfold. I wonder how that applies to me. I wonder how it applies to me. I only have just a little bit of oil and a little bit of bread, but I'll give it to you. How does that apply to me? That there are moments in my life when I have had to take something that I had, and once I gave it up, I didn't have any more, but I didn't realize that it's the giving up that allows God to pour the more in. Give... And it shall be given. We're saying, if you give me, God says, no, it don't work that way, son. You give and I'll give. 
because I've already given you something to give. I've already initiated that. I've already given that to you, but how are you going to respond to it? And she gave. She can afford it. She's wealthy. And her husband agrees with her, and they built. And it's nice. And so Elisha comes, and he has a great meal. And, and when the meal is over, uh, the Shunammite lady says, uh, Sir, you don't have to go across the street sleep underneath the tree. Um, we got a place for you here. And he walks into it. And it was designed by Wayfair. I mean, it's just... <laughs> everything good, right? Everything. I mean, it was like, it was laid out. Bed, comfortable bed, chair, table, lamp. He said, this is nice. He says to Gehazi, go call her. And so she comes and he says, we want to thank you for your hospitality. How, how can I return thanks to you? Can I speak to the king on your behalf or can I speak to the captain of the army? She said, no, I, I live among my own people. I'm fairly secure. And so I have no political needs. I have no enemies, none of that. And so you know, I just said, okay. But everybody has a need. Everybody has a desire. A lot of our desires are hidden because we think it's impossible for even to articulate it in such a way that somebody would say, oh, I, lady, you're rich. You, you ought to, you should be, you're rich. You got money. But can I tell you something? When you have money and you want a baby, money can't take the place of baby. When Hannah's husband said to her, Hannah, why are you pining over children? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And she looked at him and said, is your brain broke? <laughs> Honey, you can't take the place of a baby. You might act like one, but you can't. <laughs> You, you, cannot, you cannot take the place of a baby. I want a baby. And stop telling me you're going to give me a double portion because there are certain needs that you have that money can't take care of, affirmation can't take care of, somebody loving you like no one's ever loved you. They can't take care of that. And the only thing that changes is that Hannah makes a commitment. And she says to God, God, here's the deal. If you give me a boy, I will give him back to you. I just need to have a boy for a little while. If you give me a boy, I will give him back to you for the rest of his life. She made a commitment. Somebody said she made a commitment. Hannah is actually giving her first fruit. She doesn't realize it because there's more fruit coming, incidentally. She gives her first fruit. And here's the thing. Whenever Hannah gives God something, there is something in God that a need that you are responding to is being met. What did God need? He needed a prophet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah needed a son. God said, it's a deal. I'll get my prophet. You'll get your son. And oh, by the way, I'll give you five more kids. Wow. Say commitment. Yeah. So she walks away. Gehazi says, what she really wants, sir, is her own boy. But her husband has issues. 
And he says, call her back. Call her back. And I love this phrase. Look at it, please. Verse 15. He says, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, everybody read that with me. At this season, about this time next year, you shall. Say it again. At this season, about this Can I tell you something? That's not the first time a phrase like this has appeared in the scriptures. God said it to Sarah about this time next year. You're going to have a baby. God said it in the midst of a famine in Samaria where people were eating their own flesh. And Elisha comes along and says, tomorrow, about this time, the famine's going to be over. And she's looking at him and she's realizing I have been trying to have a baby for years, and we have, well, not we, I. I I've just given up because, I mean, he's nice. I'm, he's, you know, you couldn't have a better husband. He's a nice. He's treating me right. And, and she says, but then because it is touching a deep, deep, deep desire in her heart, she does not want to hear that I'm going to have a baby and not have one because herp, herp, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Don't set me up for it because a lot of us, we've got a prophetic word, something has been spoken to us and it didn't happen in our time. And so now we're going along and we're, we are, we're singing the sad songs and, we're, and all that we can think about. Y'all don't understand. I'm going through something nobody's ever been through. And she's in that. And so she doesn't want to go there. She's happy to be married to a guy who loves her. And, and she's happy to feed a prophet. And she's happy to make she's all of that. But now you are setting me up for something that I've never believed since I could not. It can happen. Don't tell me I'm going to have a baby. Don't set me up for disappointment. Don't lie to me. Maybe some of you don't know this story. It's a young lady in Houston, Brett Jones' daughter, and she'd been struggling to have a baby. And so she's sitting next to Barbara in the green room. And Barbara said, next year, this time, you're going to have a baby. Now, Brett is sitting there. And he was in the doctor's office when she was 13. And the doctor said she would never have children. And so in his heart, he's saying, no, no, Pastor Barbara, don't tell her she can have kids. Because the doctor said, and then he said, who am I to tell the prophet what not to say? The following year, we were in Houston, walked into the house, and she was hiding behind the door. And when Barbara walked into the door, she stood out. She had a basketball <laughs> under her dress. And she's standing there, and Barbara is looking at her, and she says, do you remember the words you gave me last August? Because in the same moment, one guy is saying, that can't happen because she's already got a word but there's a word that can come to you that can overshadow the word that you just got. 
there's a word that can come to you that says, I know they said this, but here's what I'm saying. And no matter what you say, it can't happen. Don't disappoint me. And all the while, next thing you know, the doctor's saying to you, probably in about just a couple of weeks, you're there carrying it. What kind of joy did she have to have when she found that fulfillment in the fulfillment of that prophetic word? And all Elijah was doing, Elisha was doing was, he says, I have found a way to thank you, and I'm going to give you a word that it will change the trajectory of your life and it's going to bless you and it will meet a need in your life and here's what I'm saying to you church there are moments in your life where the problem is that the world you live in to hear what God wants to say to you is too small build on the world you have Look at that roof. Look at that place. I don't know if she says, well, I guess giving up having a, we're going to have, well, we're never going to have a child. But let's take this space for this man of God and let's make room for him. Somebody say, let's make room for him. Say it again. Let's make room for him. The wealth that you have right now, you can use it for the glory of God. You can use it for something that you know God wants to do. She perceives, she sensed in her heart, this is a man of God. I can't go wrong by blessing him. This is a God purpose. This is a God thing. We can't go wrong. By doing something, I sow seed. I multiply the seed I've sown. God gives me more seed. I sow it again. And just about the time I'm looking at doing something with the seed he gave me, he says, would you use that to do this? He said, I love a cheerful giver. But I won't complain even if you're not. (laughs) He'll take your money even if you're not cheerful about it. That's all I'm saying to you. Does she have a boy? Does she have a boy? What does the story say? Yeah, she had a boy. Was she happy? Grooming him. He's going to take over our, our estate. This is what we need. We need it. And then one day he comes. He says to his dad, I've got a headache. And then dad says, take him to his mother. Yeah. Dads always say that. take him to his mother. He goes and sits on his mother's lap and he dies. And that's the end of that story. It would be if it was a secular story. But this isn't a secular story. This isn't a fairy tale. This is the way life works in the kingdom. And in the light of the king's face there is life And his favor is like the spring clouds that bring the rain. And so rather than stepping back and looking at that kid lying there and just saying, well, I just had him for a few weeks or I had him for a few years and I'm just blessed. And she says, no, that ain't the way this movie is going to end. I am going to go beyond this. I'm telling you that we are hearing Words. Barbara gave a prophetic word two years ago in Buffalo, New York, that God was going to use the church to begin to cooperate with him in raising the dead. Two weeks after that, three people in Buffalo were raised from the dead because the church is now grasping something. And then just a few weeks ago, a friend called me and said, were you watching the game? And I said, yes. And in the game, the young man dropped dead on the football field. 
and they revived him. Three times they had to bring him back. Three times they had to bring him back. The whole stadium is shut down. People are praying. That was the largest prayer meeting. <laughs> 62,000 people hoping to see this guy. Football players standing around. News commentators. In fact, one of the ESPN guys, he says, you know what? He says, we always use the term, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. He said, I got to do more than thoughts. And he started praying to the God of Jehovah, the God of Mary, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Lazarus. You and I are not serving some penny any God who sits someplace in, in some place in a dark corner and he can't change anything going on in your life. The God I serve is a God of miracles. He's a God of power. He is a God who says, I've got this and if you'll trust me, I'll get you through this. Somebody say, God's got this. That's essentially what she was saying to her husband. He says, where are you going? She says, God's got this. God's got this. And on the way down there, it's a 20-mile walk or on a donkey. She's going there and all the while saying, God's got this. And when, when Gehazi gets to her, he says, how's it going? She says, God's got this. God's got this. And when she gets to Elijah, she says, God, is it well with your, your husband, your child, your, your child? He's dead. She could have said, is it well? Are you kidding me? He's dead. You never included that in your prophecy. Didn't need to include it in my prophecy because God had resurrection in mind. Some of you are staring at what you think is the end and it's not the end, it's just the middle. Are you in the middle of something? They told me a long time ago when I was going through a really tough place and, they, and one guy said, he said, uh, you know, when God shuts the door, he opens another one and, I, and that was supposed to make me happy because the door was shut. My money was cut off. People stopped talking to me. But there was a door. And there is a door. There was a door. And I found that door. But one guy said, here's how it works. He says, he, he shuts the door and he opens the door, but it's hell in the hallway. And she was in the hallway. And she gets to the man of God. You started it. And you're going to finish it. He said to God, you started it. And you're going to finish it. And he walks into that room, and you know the rest of this story. That boy sneezes seven times, and then suddenly he's awake, and Elijah picks her up, and she said, he said, here you go, honey. Here's your boy. And she falls on her face, and this is the place where I feel like we need to get to the place of thanksgiving, where we say to God, it's all about you. Would you say that? It's all about you. How'd she make room? In her spirit, she received a prophetic word that she believed. And she conceived the prophetic word. There's something that's being birthed in this house today. A prophetic word for you and your circumstances. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered when I take my faith and put it on something that God can do, I stop worrying about if he's going to do this. And I apply my faith to this. I don't know what that lady went through until one day all the signs of being expected were happening to her. And you begin to get excited. She built a room 
where her dream and her vision came to pass because she had someone in that room who could speak a word to make it happen. It wasn't a prophecy. God didn't say, say to her, thus says the Lord. When, when Gehazi said to her, she wants a boy. This is a man of God expressing gratitude for something. She's just simple gratitude. Look, say, learn how to say thank you. Just thank you. He said, I want to say thank you. And so he then says, tomorrow or next year about this time, you're going to have a boy. Think of it like this. In prophetic words, God says something to us and we say, I agree with that. But in decreeing, you say something and God says, I agree with that. Now, in chapter 8, where we were just a few minutes ago, he calls this same woman and he says, thus says the Lord. There's going to be a famine here for seven years. You need to leave. Go someplace until the famine is over. That was the word. And she went and lived among the Philistines, which is an interesting place because they're not God people. But she's there. When the famine is over, seven years, she comes back. And guess what? Somebody has taken over her house. People do that. Move into your house while you're on vacation. Take over. And they're there. And she said, this is my house. Who are you? We've been here for seven years. I have no idea. First time I've ever seen you. She didn't argue with them because she has rights. you got rights. If you're arguing with somebody who is interloping and moving in on your stuff, you're doing the wrong thing. Stop talking to jerks and talk to the guy who can jerk them. And she goes to the king. She goes to the king who she didn't need 20 years ago. Who says to the captain of the army, who she didn't need 20 years ago, follow her to her house. Whoever is in her house, throw them out, calculate all that she would have harvested and accumulated in the past seven years and return it to her. This is a season of restoration. This is a season of I will restore. This is a season when God is saying, I'm ready to give it all back to you if you'll let me give it back to you. If you've lost something, what was lost in battle, what was taken unlawful, where the enemy has plotted to steal, where health is ailing and your strength is failing, he says, I will restore to you all of this and more. David says to him, they've taken my kids, they've taken my wife, they've taken my stuff. What shall I do? Shall I pursue? And God says, oh, yes, pursue, overtake, and you will recover. Can you imagine you got stuff lying someplace in the enemy's hands, and it's only there because you haven't gone after it? Is this making sense to anybody? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? 
I've heard it said that people who are passionate about something are committed to it. What I've learned, however, is that passion doesn't create commitment. Commitment creates passion. When you're committed to something, something builds in you and you begin to see it. There have been moments in my life when I say, God, I, I want to do more. I want to give more. I, I want to participate in this thing that you're doing. He says, then make a commitment. Make a commitment. About 40 years ago, I heard a quote that changed my life in how I perceived life and how I did life. I also saw how that quote in the, the truth of the statements in it had already applied to past actions in my life. A real estate salesman can see you coming, you and your wife, and you're looking, and he says, come on in, y'all, come on in, yeah, go in. You're looking at these houses, yeah, I am. He said, which one do you like? Well, we like a lot of them, but we can't afford it. He said, well, which one do you like? And he'll say, well, we like that one, right, honey? Yeah, we like that one. He said, let me tell you something. He said, can you give me a $100 deposit? Well, it's more than 100. He said, I'm not asking for more. Just give me a deposit. And so you write the check and you get the deposit. And you walk away and you're saying, well, what have we done? And you say, well, we got a deposit. We can always get our money back. And then you're sitting at a dinner. You just happen to be at a dinner. And people say, well, what's going on in your life, kids? And you're saying, well, we were out looking at houses and we... We, we put a deposit on a house, and they say, I can't believe this. What do you mean? My wife and I were saying, the day you guys decide to buy a house, we're going to be in on it with you. And then all of a sudden, it just starts to unfold from that point on. There are things that you are now in possession of that you did not think could be yours. But the moment you took that step, that one tiny little step, it, it burst you into a place of the miraculous. I want you to see this, this screen. And um, I want you to, let's just read it together. Come on. Well, in fact, why don't you stand up? Okay, you've been sitting too long anyway. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. I have learned a deep respect 
for one of Gerda's couplets. His name is Goethe. All right. Not Gothi. All right, here he goes. For one of Goethe's couplets, read it with me, please. Are you in earnest? Seize this very minute. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Only engage, and then the mind grows heated. Begin, and then the work will be completed. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Always ineffectiveness, because we do not realize that it is the very act of commitment that releases resources that you could never have had. She received a child in barrenness. She received a child from the dead. She received her inheritance restored. Child born, child raised, that's double. Double is <laughs> doable. Can God raise the dead? Paul said, why should it be thought a thing incredible that God can raise the dead? Why should it be thought a thing incredible that God can raise your dead finances? Change the trajectory of your life by one simple commitment. I was sitting there, Pastor David, and uh, I had my calculator because I didn't trust my head to work it out. And I said, $1.5 million. What, what kind of kind of fraction of that could you take that would be maybe like a 1% of that or a 10% of that or whatever, but, but make sure it falls into the 150 group. So I thought, I could do $15,000. wonder what that would look like. I could probably do more than, in fact, I'm going to go home and say to Barbara, 15,000. She says, is that all you pledged? <laughs> Why pledge something that you already have? Say to God, God, you're in this. When we started talking about it and God began to say things, he started confirming it in various places. And I just said, David, and I said something like my mother used to say, this ain't nothing but God. And as we have been walking it out, it's simply been unfolding. And one confirmation is coming after another confirmation. Go into a meeting and sit down next to somebody and they just say to you, you know, you know that's your building, right? God wants to confirm this. It's our building. Somebody say that. It's, it's our building. Say it's our building. What do you want from God? If my willingness is in a such a place that I can say to God, whatever you want, God, I want. And I will give you, Lord, I want, I want that new 2024 Mercedes 450. He said, you can have that. What, what are you giving me first? I said, well, I got this thing. Well, I've already made pledges to the. He said, I will give seed 
to the one who will sow it. So the issue isn't, where am I going to get the money from? He has the money. What he needs is a channel through which it could flow. I felt like God said, I will introduce a season of great surprises in this house that will astound you. And you will find me doing things in your life that you once looked at as impossible. Let the barons sing, shout, enlarge the place of your borders. Close your eyes. Place your hand over your heart. Some people tell you to place it on it, but I know you can't do that. Over your heart. The God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Mary, he is alive and he's powerful. Say to him, God, I want in on whatever you're doing. I want in on everything you're doing. I ask you now to awaken in me a spirit of audacious, bodacious faith to believe you for what is called the impossible. I want to believe you that in five months we're going to see the fulfillment of faith gathered. I call in the resources from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and from heaven itself for every need to be met. In Jesus' name, I believe double is doable. That in the same season, I'm meeting your need, you'll meet mine. Now make some noise. Really. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.